Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 530. This is the weekly show about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 880 florist shops and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2021, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., supporting more than 20 U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $9 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. For our final week of October's Membership Appreciation Month, I recorded a terrific interview with longtime premium level member Libby Francis Baxter, owner of The Modest Florist in Baltimore. Libby is one of those constant Instagram presence in our life, tagging Slowflower Society alongside her everyday floral posts that show the beautiful arrangements heading out the door of her neighborhood retail flower shop. She's living her values through and through, and I really wanted to share Libby's story with you. Here's a bit more about Libby and her cute flower shop. Libby Frances Baxter is known for supplying her community with locally grown flowers, greens, and live plants presented in vintage, reusable, and biodegradable containers. Founded in 2013, the Modest Florist was created with sustainability at its core and is committed to environmentally friendly solutions for the modern floral business. As the hometown florist in Baltimore's Hampton neighborhood, it's a source for a full range of floral services with a modern twist. The Modest Florist is the first florist to be recognized by and listed on the Maryland Department of Energy Green Registry, and the owner is a lead green associate. You'll also want to check out a few bonus resources that I've shared, including a recent Q&A with Libby published in Voyage Baltimore Magazine, and a feature I wrote about the Modest Florist that appeared in the December 2018 issue of Florist Review for our How I Do It column, featuring retail florist advice on sourcing locally. You can download a PDF of that story in our show notes for episode 530 at deborahprinzing.com. Last week, Libby and I recorded a video interview, and you can watch the full episode, including a short, fun video that Libby's husband filmed as she was going along her farmer's market shopping excursion, of course, picking up flowers. Find that and watch it in today's show notes, too, at DebraPrinzing.com for episode 530. Let's jump right in and get started. (music) 
Hey, everybody. I'm so excited today to welcome Libby Baxter, Libby Francis Baxter of the Modest Florist. Hi, Libby. Hi. Hello, everybody. Yeah, exactly. It's great to see you. We, we, um, are on opposite sorts, you know, sides of the country, so we're going to have to do this over uh, the computer screen, which is fine. Um, Libby is based in Baltimore, but you're in more in a very specific, unique neighborhood. So, can you talk about where what is home for the modest florist, and then we'll talk about what the business is. All righty. Well, yeah. We're, thank you. Uh, yeah, located in Hamden, the Hamden neighborhood of Baltimore, um, rather f- sort of well known um, for a, a number of things. Um, mostly, it started it started off as a mill town, and we we actually were an independent village before it was annexed by the city of Baltimore. But um, so it's always had this sort of working class background, and uh, this is the home. If you've ever heard of the term Hun. Um, that is something that Baltimore is known for is the Baltimore Huns. And, um, there's, uh, there's also a, a certain kind of quirkiness that goes along with Hamden. It's where we, because we were an independent village to start with, um, we developed a lot of character that is, uh, very unique to Hamden. And, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I think, I think among other things, the one thing that we are most proud of is the Avenue, which is our main shopping district. Uh, is comprised uh, entirely of independently owned businesses. So there are no chains of any sort. Um, And we have an incredibly eclectic, if not quirky mix of things. Um, And finally, the thing thing we might might be best known for is if you know anything about John Waters, filmmaker as well as you know everything else yes um, one of his yeah one of his movies is actually based in Hamden and uh, that's the that's the film Pecker and it is actually there are a number of the sites that are where the filming occurred are, are literally businesses that exist to this day oh that's so, crazy so the John yeah. Waters uh fan base knows to come check out the real places that they you know they love in the cult film mm-hmm what is that? I didn't get the hun thing. At first, I thought you were saying like we call people hun, like honey, but it's something else. Yeah. Well, it's actually it's so it's it is that, and so hun is obviously short for honey. But um, there's something about the uh, the Huns, if you will, and that is that it refers to kind of a specific group of women, um, mostly you know sort of post-war era who um, would love to have big hair and you know that was the beehive hair. Oh, all and, right, yeah. <laughs> Right, Le- leopard print, everything, <laughs> and uh, you know, you name it. So, um, and again, this is yeah. So there are there there is actually a restaurant here that's called Cafe Hun, which was actually featured in a uh, one of uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares um, because <laughs> of the. It's a it's a long story, but basically, we get a lot of, we get a lot of uh, notoriety for that. Yeah, so. well, it's it's perfect because you have a quirky business, and it your personality is so colorful. Um, talk about the modest florist. First of all, the name, the modest florist, when I first met you, I thought it was because you were a superly, super shy introvert. Uh, but that has nothing to do with the term, the modest, right? Right. You're right. So this is my secret exposed. Um, so going back into high school and college days, um, I was a big fan of the then the mod revival movement. So if you think about back to the 1960s and Carnaby Street fashion and uh, mod bands, you know, whatnot, um, as well as Vespa scooters. Um, so that was something that you know started with then and continues to this day. 
So I'm still, I still have a stable full of vintage Vespas in our garage and, uh, and still riding. And, uh, and so that means what it means essentially is not that I'm shy or humble, but uh, that I'm the most mod. You need like knee high white vinyl go-go boots. That would be like the perfect thing to wear, right? What makes you think I don't have them? Oh, Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And Twiggy and Mary Quant, all of those so fashion icons are kind of in, reflected in your logo too. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the, you, you caught that immediately. So the, um, so yeah, so in my logo, we have the, the, the RAF Rondell, which is the, basically the mod target, if you will, um, as, and also the Mary Quant iconic black daisy. So yeah, that's awesome. I love it. So <laughs> Your description of your neighborhood, it means it, to me, it means that you've been pretty intentional deciding where to operate and where to kind of create community. And when did you open the, your, your storefront there? Uh, it was actually eight years ago, almost eight years and one month. So back in 2013, and um, I actually, I actually moved to Hamden from Washington D.C. back in 2006. I bought my own house here um, before I'd met my now husband, and uh, and I, you know, had fallen in love with the neighborhood um, just to begin with. So like that'll say something right there is that I would have, you know, just decided, okay, that's it, buying a house. I'm, felt, I'm here for real. You felt at home yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and it was just, it, it was strictly by coincidence that at the same time that I was envisioning opening my own business, this was, uh, okay, tr truth be told, my midlife crisis and my, my de decision for my 50th birthday is to give myself my own business. Uh, That's my, great. Uh, I love it. Yeah, so um, it just so happens that the that the flower shop that had been on the corner of where I am right now, um, that had been there for a couple of generations, the the, the then owner uh, was retiring, and so um, I got in touch with it. She sold the building. I got in touch with the new owners and said, "Hey guys, I've been looking for a place to open up shop. I'll throw a coat of paint on the walls and just open up and go." And it worked out perfectly. So I moved into the old flower shop. Um, and while that, and while it, that space was, it was enormous. And, um, and that's because that's what flower shops used to be. I mean, you used to have five or six designers working in your, in your back room and whatnot, but right. um, yeah, I had always intended for this to just be myself, maybe some holiday help, whatnot. And one of the things that was, that had, as the new owners were working on kind of, you know, rehabbing the building, they discovered that behind the, 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 the original flower shop space was the old carriage house. Um, so the, um, so they actually rehabbed that and turned that into what is now my shop. So I now am actually, my entire shop is within the tiny space of the original building, <laughs> um, which actually after it had been the, after it had been the carriage house, they actually converted it into one gigantic cooler. Wow. So yeah, so the, so it's actually got the I got these you know concrete block walls that are like you know a foot thick, and <laughs> so it's actually pretty cool that I like my entire business is inside of what was once one gigantic cooler. So, and is is the shop on that street you talked about the avenue? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, actually, um, there is a we, we face right out onto, and it's it's 
36th Street, but, but that's what, you know, but in Baltimore, we call it the Avenue. Um, but it's actually kind of, it's it's kind of fun because the um, one thing is, is that I'm actually, because I'm facing facing that side, um, I don't get the same amount of foot traffic that the other frontage gets, but I'm kind of okay with that, especially during a pandemic, you know, that's, so. Yeah. Plus, yes, your retail, but a lot of your retail happens with online orders, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that that is where a lot of people start is uh, mm -hmm. your website. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, actually, um, about 80% of my business, um, even prior to the pandemic, was was generated through our website and retail sale, real, retail deliveries. Um, weekends, we definitely have a lot of foot traffic, and that's because we're also in close proximity to Johns Hopkins University. Their main undergrad campus is just a few blocks away. You know, as well as a number of other colleges and universities, and then some other sort of you know uh, institutions that are that are right around, kind of in the fringes of our of our neighborhood. So we got a lot of foot traffic, and that's kind of nice on you know doing sidewalk sales for Saturdays. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Well, I'm just curious: are there any other retail florists in the neighbor in that district, or are you it? So retail florists are, um, as you may know, are kind of on the decline, and um, and so there's not a there's not another retail florist that's super close by. Uh, the closest one is about two and a half miles north of, of me, um, and then uh, yeah, there really are. It's there are literally a, a, a smattering that are left. There there's some there's some of the you know the larger suburban florists that kind of cover you know several counties. Um, that are outside the city, but yeah. right, yeah. right within the city is we're getting kind of few and far between. It's like you're truly the neighborhood florist. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so that's true. That's exactly right. When you started the business, what was your uh, other than giving yourself a birthday gift, which I love, <laughs> we all should do that, um, or something that like follow your heart kind of gift. What what is what were you setting out to do? What you said you wanted to kind of have be self-contained, not have lots of employees, um, operate as you know as much as you could, just as a one-person business. Um, you had some influences though that shaped how you wanted the business to, in terms of your values and your mission, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, actually, the the one core value that I that I come back to in every aspect of the business is sustainability. And that is something that translates into every decision that they make um, from sourcing to uh, my choice of electric provider to uh, my choice of how to, you know, how to have a point of sale system. You know, any of those things all come into uh, all come into play. And ultimately, the most important part is sustainable for me as a person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as coming from my last position where I was managing 27 folks in five different locations on a local college campus uh, with operations that open seven days a week, uh, first person getting in at 530 in the morning, last person leaving at 1 a.m. and me being responsible for everything in between. I said, you know what, I'm not, I, this is not a way to live. And so I realized that, you know, looking forward, how am I going to create a situation for myself that I'm, that I can literally survive <laughs> and thrive in, you know, in, into, into what would normally be, you know, work, working through into retirement years. So, yeah. um, so that's really been, that was really the focus. And I think that, you know, a lot of that comes from when I, where I first began, um, and this goes back, I'm dating myself again. So uh, back in 1991, in the early 90s, I actually had started working at my first flower shop um, by accident. 
And that was because I had moved to a lovely town in Woodstock, Vermont, and was looking for a, a job out of college, didn't really know where I was going, figured I could bartend or whatever, and went to a local restaurant and asked if they had any positions available for bartenders, waitresses, and they didn't at the time. But what they did have, is they pointed out that they had a little breakfast and lunch cafe, which was next door to the main restaurant. And not only was it a little breakfast and lunch cafe, it was also a full service ice cream soda fountain and a florist shop all in one spot. All my favorite things under one roof. I love it. Yeah, it was really, it was really a magical place. And um, they hired me on to manage the the food portion of the program. Um, And my co-manager ran the flower shop. And after not too long, we realized that it would be in everyone's best interest if everyone, you know, including our high school kids and people who worked, you know, seasonally, just to be cross-trained and know what was going on on, you know, any area of the business at any given time. So that is when I gratefully was able to, I started an apprenticeship with a local uh, noted landscape designer, floral designer, uh, wonderful woman, Lucia Armstrong Williams. She's also a, uh, she was a judge for Garden Clubs of America. Um, And, you know, at the time she was actually already well into her fifties, probably 60, you know, I'm in my twenties. And, you know, having learned from some, a person of, you know, her, well, I, age yeah yeah establishment yeah so she she was able to share with me you know all of her sort of old school techniques of you know how to do things so and while you know over the years obviously I've learned how to use you know floral foam and all that other good stuff but um but I really prefer I'm, I'm grateful to have had this foundation in you know doing what the traditional florist was you know where you know a, a florist shop would be you know, basically have an offshoot of, you know, they'd have their own greenhouse and you would use products that were in the greenhouse, like chicken wire and, you know, things like that, that we're now slowly rediscovering. But, you know, grateful grateful for myself that, you know, that's not something I had to like learn anew. It's just sort of what I, how I began. So. So you had that career and that early start, but then you went off and had a college, uh, what, management job or administrative job? Yeah. So, I mean, so I've kind of actually gone, I've kind of gone back and forth between food and flowers throughout my whole career. And so that's, a, so that's, it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, after, after I had left Woodstock, I moved back to Washington, DC. And one of the, one of the things I was actually working for a, another flower shop there. And it was interesting to me um, to see how, how much the industry had changed in a course of literally about six years or so. Um, you know, back at the shop in Woodstock, uh, we, this is a great story about Valentine's Day, was when we had, we, we actually were still getting locally grown roses. There was a rose greenhouse that was only uh, about 20 minutes away. Um, and they would, and they would grow roses all year round in the wintertime in Vermont. That's amazing. Um, yeah. That doesn't exist anymore. Right. So, but, um, but at the time, um, one of the things that was very difficult to get a hold of would be any kind of imported flowers. So this is before the days of, you know, overnight FedEx, whatnot. It was definitely a challenge to try and figure out how to get flowers in from Holland, which is the primary source at that point. And interestingly enough, so in Vermont, we had one customer in particular who demanded that he have red tulips for his wife for Valentine's Day. So it was always a big production to try and get tulips in from Holland and, you know, how are we going to get them, blah, blah. Um, Whereas getting roses was just, you know, well, they're just down the road, you know, so we always, yeah, so that was, that was that. Um, you know, fast forward back in Washington, D.C., and now all of a sudden we're looking at how this is completely turned on its head. Now we getting, we're getting roses from, you know, from South and Central America. 
Uh, you, they ha- we you, they, we have no idea. I mean, like th- this that this was going to be happening. I mean, I was right. like, well, why do we still have locally grown roses? Well, it's because we have done a very successful job of putting all of our local uh, greenhouse grown flower- flowers uh, growers out of business, and mostly because of the you know the cheap imports from South and Central America, subsidized by yes our tax dollars, mm-hmm. among other things, and then as an interesting twist. It turns out that uh, we now are actually in in the mid-Atlantic in the backyard of the largest uh, domestic tulip grower on the East Coast in the United States. So, I mean, it's also, it's like super easy. You can almost get, can you get, can you get tulips almost year round, right? Almost. It gets a little too hot in the summertime. So Mm. they cut back production, Um, but they actually do have some air conditioned greenhouses as well, which is kind of crazy. But yeah. So, uh, but no, I know it was just really funny. It's like how it was so easy to have our our local, our our local locally grown roses. Then they stopped. They didn't exist. It was impossible to get tulips domestically. And now we're, you know, they're government space. So it's crazy. That's so interesting. And I guess it doesn't matter that you can't get tulips in the summer because you have so much local product. Like we just saw in the video of you shopping direct from farmers to get, well, there were a lot of dahlias in that photo, but you had other really groovy stuff in there, like the, the Billy, one of those green hairy oh, balls. Yeah. The, yep. The gonfa carpus. Yep. We love them. And so, yeah, I know actually we, I, I have to say we are very, very blessed to be here in the mid Atlantic. I don't know that there are many other places in the U.S., um, California for sure, but I mean, but literally um, that there are pockets where you could actually not only have field grown flowers, which we can do pretty much everywhere, um, but also still have the um, have the greenhouse growers um, that still exist, despite the challenges of, you know, the every all of the competition that they have from South and Central America and as well as other places, too. Um, that still still even exists. So I'm just super grateful that, you know, not only do we have my fun flower farmers like, you know, John from Locust Point, but, um, but yeah, as, right now, this is a perfect example because we're transitioning from field grown into greenhouse grown. And, you know, right now, um, we're expecting a hard frost anytime, anytime now. It's uh, typically, it's usually right around Halloween or the first yeah. week of November. Um, so yeah, so, you know, if I go back to, when I go back to the farmer's market on Saturday to see John again, um, things could look very different. Yeah. Or maybe your very last week of getting his field crops. Right. Exactly. So, uh, I was really impressed when you said, uh, and I'm going to maybe get the miles wrong, but you're like just 125 miles radius of where you source or something like that. And, And that's 12 months of the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's actually a standard that was established by the Pennsylvania Association for Sustainable Agriculture. Um, and I'm, to be frank, I'm not sure where they came up with that particular number as opposed to like 107 miles or 72, right, you know, whatever. Right. But, um, but using that as a standard, um, that, that gives me also the rate, basically almost all of the state of Maryland, which by the way is, is very long, <laughs> you know, it's very wide, even though it's very short. Um, <laughs> but, we don't, and, but we also are in a, not only a tri-state area, but it's kind of a, it's a really multi-state area because the, the mid-Atlantic is so, is so closely clustered. So, so dense. My, yeah, exactly. So, so my my suppliers range from Northern Virginia uh, to the you know suburbs of DC, um, Southern Maryland, which is a portion the portion of Maryland that's on the western shore of the Chesapeake Bay, as well as you know the whole the whole you know mid, middle of Maryland. We also have our eastern shore, uh, and that includes Delaware, and then southeastern Pennsylvania, 
as well as the southwestern tip of New Jersey, which in case folks wanted to know, you wouldn't believe it if you've ever landed at Newark Airport, but the reason that, that New Jersey is called the Garden State is because of just that area that's in the southern tip of New Jersey where there are just incredible flower farms. I mean, you, you, you almost feel like you're in Holland. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you are, how many farms do you think you're procuring from? Um, there are quite quite a number, and I, so in the so again in the you know spring summer fall uh, the field grown flowers are just innumerable, and so um, what I've done is basically you know for me I one of the things I believe strongly in, and this kind of might ruffle some feathers, but I believe very strongly in the idea of using wholesalers because it is in fact a, the most sustainable way for procuring items in general. Um, and that is, you know, it, it, you know, this is, this is an, uh, an idea that goes back to ancient Greece and it wouldn't have been around this long if it, if it was not a sustainable idea. Right. So, um, so I choose to use the, those, mostly those farmers that go to markets, either be at a wholesale market or at a farmer's market. So that I know that, you know, we're supporting that way of accessing those, uh, those products. Um, Mostly there are, I'd say probably I'm at eh, about six or seven that I routinely am buying from in the course of the summertime. Um, Although there literally are are dozens that are in this area. So there, so, you know, that's, that's, but, you know, flip side, moving into winter, that changes radically. And so where, where, where I'm looking at in winter, I literally have about three primary sources um, for actual cut flowers. So that would be the, you know, the first of the tulip, the giant tulip people in, uh, in King George, Virginia. Um, my very favorite family run greenhouse in Lettuce, Pennsylvania, the Hendricks. Um, there's another grower uh, and it's another family run, both greenhouse grower and as well as a flower shop here in Jarrettsville, Maryland. And that's the Bowers. Uh, and there are a few who also do sort of specialty things, you know, that meaning that we'll get, you know, uh, greens, for instance, um, you know, or just, you know, magnolias and holly berries and that kind it's of like stuff. A specific crop that, that they Correct. have one time a year. Right, exactly. You know, and then it's it's my favorite time of year for foraging. So there's a lot of that going on, too. So, you know, you made such an interesting comment about wholesalers, Libby, because there's sort of been this anti-wholesaler, you know, um, response in not it was even pre-pandemic, but, you know, it's this whole idea that, you know, how am I going to let this one person control my destiny kind of thing? But you're you're using your voice to let your wholesalers know that you prefer local and you're guiding them. And in, in I guess if more florists were doing that, it might change the makeup of what we see on the floor or in the coolers. Yeah, it, absolutely. A hundred percent. Thank you for pointing that out, because, in fact, I actually um, last week I rejected um, a whole you know, hamper of dahlias that came in that I know that they had, that they had substituted from somebody I didn't know. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, went back to my, and this is, this is a relatively new uh, relationship. I didn't use this particular wholesaler until this, just this summer. Um, but I got in touch with my sales rep and I just said, you know, Hey Dave, um, you, you, these are coming back to you. I rejected them because I don't know where they came from. And, you know, you need to remember, uh, you know, this is my brand is it is, you know, I know where they come from and I specifically choose to buy from those folks through you 
so that you know that there is value in locally grown product and that that's, you know, and that, and that's a preference. And that's the only, that's the only thing that I'm buying from you. So hmm. um, he got the message. And yesterday, as a matter of fact, um, when my, when my regular weekly order uh, was being put in, he specifically sent me an email saying, I have, I have guarantees from the buyer that your order this week is all locally grown. And I'm like, that's good, great. very okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> You're learning. But the other thing is also in the, especially in the more lean uh, dormant months, you, if you didn't have, if you hadn't patronized the wholesaler all summer long, they might not be as willing to help you in the off season um, because you just sort of, you know, uh, not a regular customer. And I, I'm assuming that that relationship you work on developing the one you just described, I'm like, okay, they learned. <laughs> they want to make yeah, Libby happy. Right. right, exactly. And that's the thing. And I think also, again, that, that goes back to, to uh, helping them inform their own decisions. And um, interestingly enough, when I very, it was the very first Valentine's Day I was open in uh, February 2014. And another one of the local wholesalers who had a, 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 just a smattering of local things, um, they had, we were actually, was uh, the, an article in the Baltimore Sun that included, you know, an interview about me and the fact that I, I wouldn't have roses. Yeah. yeah. And it was really right. Fun. Oh, yeah. That yeah. was how did you get those roses? That I didn't. No, no, I didn't have roses. Well, you didn't have them. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that was the whole. That was like the whole focus of the article. It's like, why does she not have roses on Valentine's Day? And it was because oh, you, you know, were kind of pushing tulips then, right? Boom. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, any all the stuff that we that we still grow in greenhouses locally. You know, I'm mean, beautiful lilies, all kinds of good stuff, right? Anyway, but it was funny because they actually interviewed the uh, the South American buyer from that particular wholesaler, who basically said, "I'd be out of business in no time if I didn't have roses on Valentine's Day." And I'm here to say, <laughs> I'm still here. So yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that vindication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you talked about using the old school arranging techniques like chicken wire. And um, I'm just curious if you will talk also about your vases and how you, what you choose for vases, because it seems like that's another part of your brand that's pretty unique to you. Yeah, it's, you know, and again, this, um, this is actually heartbreaking. We, um, you know, as a country, we used to have glass factories all over the place. In fact, there was one right here in Baltimore. Um, if you ever are looking at, you know, vintage glassware in, you know, a thrift shop or whatever, and you see embossed on the bottom, the letter CLG, that is Carl Lowry glassware, which came from Westport neighborhood of Baltimore. So wow. ever see CLG, that's, that's my neighborhood. But anyway, um, so yeah, I actually, one of the things that broke my heart was that the, all of the, basically 90% of the florist glassware that we have these days is all imported from China. Um, it's all probably sitting out on a boat outside of LA right now. And, you know, oh, as well, well. <laughs> yeah, right. As well as, you know, India and some from Mexico. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but that's, but basically we just don't produce it here at all. There's, there's basically one uh, commercial glass floors, uh, glass factory left and, it, you know, through consolidation and everything else has happened with every other industry. And we is just it, offshore is it, everything. So yeah. Is it syndicate uh, sales, right? Is that who you're thinking yeah, of? Exactly. Yeah. The, you know, yeah. But which is, yeah, which is exactly, and they are actually they they are a conglomeration of not only CLG, Anchor Hawking, Indiana Glass, Hoosier Glass, all of these guys had all been like bought up over and over and over until they just became the one, and that was it, you know. So anyway, but good for you for knowing that. Um, so so there's only one USA made, and I was like, you know, this is insane. And people are just, I know, I mean, I'm I'm among them, you know, you people could just collect vases, they're 
they're sitting underneath their kitchen sink, just getting dusty. And I, you know, so I had, uh, you know, again, in, in looking to, you know, source in the most sustainable way that I could was, um, obviously is reusing anything we possibly can. So initially that began with my just thrifting for all of my glassware, which is super easy because everybody finally cleans out their kitchen cabinets and they're like, oh, I'll take this all to the thrift. Um, but then we also started a, a deal with um, where I give 10% off your order if you bring in your own glassware. And then it started to get known throughout the community that Hey, guess what? You know, if you've got all this stuff sitting around, um, just take bring it over to me, and you know, I'll make sure that it gets reused and sent out to the community once again. So, uh, now I'm I'm at a point where I'm literally, I don't know, I don't even know how, I don't even really buy any glassware <laughs> because now not only is it, it, we've had a couple of things happen. Obviously, um, in the pandemic, people have found uh, time to clean out their kitchen cabinets. So I'll come into the shop and I'll see a giant box or a shopping bag full of vases just sitting out on the front steps. That is crazy. I love it. I know. Yeah. And then actually another thing that I, which I was really grateful for is I actually have two clients who are, uh, who, who run their own um, sort of downsizing uh businesses for you know seniors who are retiring and moving out of their big homes so every time they clean out somebody's house they bring all the vases to me so i mean it's just like this huge community involvement of just making you know just closing the circle and you know just keeping it going keeping that all out of the landfill or recycling even if it's going to glass recycling that's still not it's a lower usage than it was originally intended for Right, right, and yeah, and actually, and, and in fact, uh, we we know for a fact that glass recycling, especially here in Baltimore, is not actually very effective. Um, it's in fact, it's the least recyclable material that there is. So yeah, so just reusing. It's it's just that simple. It's just keep it moving. So how do you standardize your offerings with this variable of not knowing? I mean, obviously, you've got this stash of, of vases, but I mean, I'm sure that there's some that that are uh, more commonly ordered in terms of size, right? Right. Yeah. And that's the thing is so basically, you know, the, the things that, that are the standards, like the standard rose vase, you know, whatever else, the, the little urn shapes, whatever, um, that's what people have, you know, so that's that, that means that I'm able to bring those back in. Uh, they came from and- some florist somewhere in the past. Exactly. And, yeah. I, you know, and then over time, I mean, you know, there are other things, too. I mean, I've, I've collected enough cubes that if I, you know, need to do, you know, wedding centerpieces that are in cubes that I have plenty of them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, so mm-hmm. yeah, so there's a lot of that going on as well. I mean, and also one of the things that I made really clear is that um, you are substitutions will definitely be made. And mm-hmm. most people really don't care about the containers so much. Although I will say that in one thing, and this is my personal favorite because, you know, I am old, um, is I love all the old green glass from the 60s and 70s. And actually, actually produced it. Um, this is this is all the EO Brody glass, and they uh, they produced that all the way up into the '90s, believe it or not. But um, so I thrift for that stuff all the time. And one of my Christmas specials is actually uh, you know is is a specific arrangement, which comes in one of those kitschy old green glass vases. And so I collect them all throughout the year just to make sure I have enough for Christmas time. Are those the green ones that have like the raised leaf pattern that used to be FTD um, product line or? Okay. So that's one, but that's not the ones, ones I mean, the ones that I love the most are the ones that people think of are the worst, the most hideous ones. They're called wrinkled. There's the wrinkled vases. So they're like, they literally <laughs> look like they have like little wrinkles all over them. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. how funny. 
Yeah. And I mean, and I just, you know, like I said, I mean, it just works so perfectly well for like, if you want to do something super kitschy, that is absolutely the ticket. You're making it incredibly Baltimore uh, hipster, um, cultish John Waters, all of the above by like turning this ugly vase into something that people want. That's oh, hysterical. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's cool. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So do P you don't have like a small, medium and large, you at let people order by price range, right? Or like, how do you do that? Okay. So, um, on the website, first of all, I update the website pretty much every day, um, which gives me great SEO number uh, among other things, but also because I reflect exactly what is available, you know, at that moment. So even if people place an order that's, you know, a week to 10 days in advance, I'll actually email them back and say, okay, availability may change especially right now because we're changing seasons. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, basically just like any other normal florist, if you will, um, you know, where you offer a, a good, better and best version of each of your products. That's exactly what I do as well. So the, you know, the idea for me is that I w want people to like what they, what they like because they, they appreciate that the, the design, the colors, you know, this fits the, the you know, the sentiment that I want to share with my loved one or friend. Um, and then it happens to be locally and sustainably sourced is kind of an added bonus, but not that that would necessarily be the thing that drives you there in the first place. It's like, you know, oh, I would, you know, my friend just lost her, just lost her cat. I'd like to send her an orchid. Okay, cool. You can order an orchid from me. Your orchid is going to come from an orchid greenhouse, either in Pennsylvania or the one that's in Northern Virginia. And, you know, you know, that doesn't make a difference to other pe people. Right. You know, it's it, once you tell them, they, they probably feel better about themselves. You know, it's it, like eating a great meal and finding out it's low calorie and you didn't even know. Right. Um, that's like exactly pat your, it. Pat yourself on the back. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. So, um, your, your whole journey to building this business, uh, it's so fascinating and it's so personal. It fits you. It fits your lifestyle. You are not modeled after anyone else, but your your decisions are part of your DNA. Like you you thought, okay, this is what's important to me. How can I integrate this into the business? Would would you say that that's fair? I mean, I just I'm just fascinated yeah, no, by the way you've done that. Yeah, it actually is, and I think one of the reasons is, and again, you know, I mentioned that I spent half of my career is in food and half in flowers. But the the thing that that's in, that both have in common is they're inc incredibly perishable products. So mm. you know, one of the things that is um, that that is absolutely like the biggest nightmare for any kind of perishable business is your products perishing, right? So. Um, that means that in a traditional flower shop, and again, you know, I have worked through in that, and um, there is an enormous amount of waste. I mean, it's absurd amounts of waste, and that's exactly why, uh, why basically flower shops are, are you know, these days um, are incredibly expensive, and yeah. folks are really turned off on retail florists because of just that fact. Well, the reality is, is that especially if they still, for whatever reason, continue to work with the wire services, they're required to have a huge menu of flowers on hand at any given time, um, which are n not necessarily going to sell. And so the, so, you know, you do have to do absurd markups in order to cover your, cover your loss. Um, now that I actually just looked at that and said that, that I can't, you know, that's not something I can do. It's just, uh, you know, again, back to sustainability, that is not a sustainable model. Um, right, you know, right. having to overcharge for the, for the flowers that you do send out because you are wasting so many others is completely absurd. 
So I'm, I quite specifically was, I'm going to offer what I, I can get, you know, in season at this time um, and only that and not be a part of any network or anybody who requires me to have something on hand that I would not normally even think about selling. So I literally yeah. know what I can sell, what will sell, and I buy in small quantities to make sure that everything does sell and, you know, and don't replenish until, until they're gone. And I think that that is something that is, that's com complete, the complete antithesis of what a traditional flower shop does. And, yeah. um, and that's what, and that's why my prices are so low is because I don't have to mark everything up as much because I'm not throwing away half of what comes in. It's all going out. It's all getting sold. Well, a couple other things I've observed about you is that Almost everything that goes out the door, you are photographing and putting out on social media. And um, maybe you do it for every single arrangement. I don't know. But how do you like force yourself to stop and do that before <laughs> it goes out the door? So this is really funny that you say like for because I do. I do force myself to do that. But, you know, it's funny because I have my the pictures that you see on Instagram and, you know, Facebook and whatnot. Um, there, I literally have a, I literally have a table by my front door. This is like no joke. That's where that is. So that's it's your little little studio. Yeah. It's so it is. So it basically is. I mean, yeah. It's it's my you know it's my little pie crust table that's that sits right there and it's white and I got the white wall behind it and so it's like a perfect little setup and I literally like drop it on there, snap snap out the door <laughs> like that's it. And are you and you sometimes in the hashtag you're very specific about what the sentiment was or what the 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 occasion is, which I think helps educate people as well, maybe right, yeah. especially in your, in your community. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. I, I also, I always want people to understand, like, what are the reasons that you send flowers? Because, you know, everyone knows you send flowers for funerals, you send flowers for birthdays when you can't be there, you know, there are whatever, but there are other reasons too, that people just really don't even connect with. And I like, I especially like to put the sentiment that's written on the card. If it's something that's, you know, particularly telling, or, you know, if it's something that's funny or, you know, whatever, and just let people know, it's like, you know, that to me is the magic of flowers. It's the, you know, we have for, you know, since, since the, the ancient Egyptians have used flowers as a way to express our emotions. And, you know, and we, and we use them to mark all of the, you know, sort of highlights of our lives. So from birth to death, everything in between, you know, weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, you know, you name it. I mean, that's, we use flowers and as humans, we always have. So yeah. Um, yeah. that's what, that's the story that I want to be telling people. Well, and when I first started uh, planning to have my guests during October for a membership appreciation month, one of the things I said to my team was, we have to feature the people who tag us all the time. And you are so loyal about that. And every single day I see what the Modest Florist is doing because you tag me. So I, I pause and click over to see what it is. And I just thought, this is long and coming, Libby. I should have done this uh back in the day when you first joined because you really are walking the talk and uh, it's fun to see the personality come through on the flowers because there's no cookie cutter arrangement at all. It's yeah. Yeah. That's week true. In, week out. <laughs> that's true. Um, and is the other thing also that you are basically back to this waste thing, you're basically bringing in product almost every day or frequently multiple times of the week. 
It's pretty much every day. So, and, and then that's because they're going to, because I actually have availability from different growers on different days. Mm. So, um, you know, depending upon what that is. And so you, even though, you know, for instance, I do, you know, subscription flowers for a bunch of the salons and some of the other, you know, like businesses around town. So, you know, the Tuesday subscription flowers are going to be different from the Wednesdays, which are going to be different from Thursday, which are going to be different from Friday, generally speaking, because, uh, because of just that fact. So I'll, you know, I, I'll, I'll get in, you know, Tuesdays, stuff's coming from Kramer's and then to, on, you know, Wednesdays, it could be Galena Blooms. And then on Thursday, it could be from, you know, the wholesalers at Del Val and, you know, whatever. So, I mean, it literally is going to be every single day. And I, I have to say it's, it is, it, it's something that most, uh, again, traditional retail florists do not do because it's a lot of work to be able to, you know, first off, I mean, just, you know, cleaning out all the, all the, you know, the, and I actually, I actually don't use buckets, by the way, that's mm -hmm. another, because I'm like, so anti-plastic, it's ridiculous. So I actually, all of the, what's all my storage and my cooler is I use actual vases. In fact, mostly the green glass ones. The ones <laughs> so. you have, right? <laughs> Exactly. But yeah, so, um, but it's, it's a lot of work. And so most folks wouldn't even do that. They would just be like, okay, we have one day where we get everything and we're going to process everything, you know, dump it in a bucket with a bunch of flower food and hope to God it lasts the week, you know, so that's not, you know, that's not my deal at all. It's literally just, you know, in, in and out, in and out, in and out. And again, you know, that's part of my, that's part of my, you know, experience with the food business is that you don't just do that. You can't buy for you know your catering operation, you can't buy you know a ton of food to get in you know, to last you the next seven to ten days because right. guess what, it doesn't yeah. last. You don't you know don't play that game. Right. The word that popped into my head just listening to you was you're a small batch florist, like you know an <laughs> artisan. So there you so go. you're walking it. Well, we've had some interesting emails about the um, ways that I don't even want to use the survive isn't the right word, but the ways that you weather the storm up against uh, all the threats of, you know, disruption of COVID and the economy and the supply chain and, and you've sustained and in fact, you've grown in your business. But how, in general, just, you know, before we wrap up, we can talk a little bit about how this, it must be so gratifying to know that you were doing it right. And in the way you were doing it helped you get through COVID and instead of panicking. Yeah, you know, and this is something I think is, um, you know, this goes to the very core of, and again, my the, the S word, I use it a lot, but I mean, is, you know, it is the definition of sustainability. It is your, your you know, ability to continue to exist, if not thrive, given any number of circumstances and challenges. And so pandemic, whoa, that's a, that's a challenge that I don't think any of us foresaw in any way. Yeah, but really. again, yeah. Um, and so, you know, there was just there was just, you know, straight up panic all across the entire industry. The wholesalers closed their doors completely. They just shut down. So this is starting in March of 2020. Um, they they were like, we have no idea how we're going to do this, because at the time they you know, airlines weren't flying. So they weren't getting their product in from South and Central America. Um, so there was basically almost there was very little left for them to actually be selling. Um, the, and because of that, then our, even our local growers who actually sell through the wholesalers, we actually went to, went, we went direct to, to retail. So I, I literally, it's really funny that was one of the, one of the farms that uh, sells through Delaware Valley wholesale, they're right up in Pennsylvania, but they never wanted to do any kind of retail sales at all. It just was not part of their, their MO. They only wanted to sell direct to wholesalers, but Kramer's, you know, we got, got them on the phone and said, Hey guys, you know, it's going to be you and me together. Cause we, otherwise, you know, we are not getting, not doing this. So having had that relationship, even though it wasn't direct, 
it just, I, that they, you know, I knew who they were, they knew who I was. And so, you know, given, given that, you know, even in the, even in the beginning of the whole thing, we were just effortlessly able to, you know, pull it all together and continue to be able to be of service. And, you know, in fact, one of the things that I think was even, was even greater uh, was, you know, because of the fact that I'm also very much, you know, part of, you know, the sort of internet age, if you will, um, is, you know, because of, because of uh, my website and having a lot of traffic through that, because of social media and whatnot, I was absolutely able to communicate to folks that, you know, we're here, we're still doing it. And, um, and again, this goes back to the glassware thing too, which cracks me up because again, you know, people were cleaning out their cabinets and I'm like, Hey, here you go, bring them all over, you know? So I really, <laughs> Oh, I can just, only imagine. <laughs> it was really, it was crazy. I mean, and it, I mean, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's less now, but I mean, but at the time, I mean, it was, you know, and I think that that really is exactly the point is, you know, when you, when you think through what is it that I, that I can do every single day that I, that regardless of what those challenges are and how I'm going to make it happen. I mean, uh, because of the heavy um, number of deliveries, the percentage that were mostly deliveries that I did, pivoting to contact-free delivery only was not a problem. And in fact, actually, um, as one of the things I was able to help my fellow retailers out with, um, who were folks who were still, you know, trying to make their own way through this whole thing, and one of them was our local a local shoe store, um, another was a local vintage uh, bookstore. And so I suggested to all of the folks in my in my business community, look, if you guys have a way to you know get orders in online, I'll I'll hook you up and I will do deliveries for you because we're all going to be going to the same delivering to the same neighborhoods anyway. So if I'm making you know eight or ten deliveries of my own and you've got you know uh, you know a, a you know pack of, of books or like a you know a bo- couple boxes of chocolate that you need to have go to the same neighborhood, I'll just take them along with me. So, wow. you know, so, yeah, so, I mean, that, you know, it was, it was just that having had, you know, just the, the, I guess it, I hate to say it, but the kind of the control over that kind of my environment that way, yeah, um, yeah. you know, means that I wasn't, I'm not reliant on other folks to, you know, who are, you know, may, might have disruptions in their workforce in Vietnam so that you can't get Nike sneakers now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, um, interesting. Yeah, I mean, so there was just no disruption whatsoever, and it was kind of awesome to be in a position to be able to help some other folks out, too. Yeah, and you have this sort of community that, that is sort of, 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 like, as you said, of all independent small businesses. So how lovely that you all pulled together, and, you know, hopefully most people got through it and, uh, you know, are still in business, because that's pretty pretty rare. You know, there's so many storefronts that have closed with covid Yep. Um, and now, and now you're more resilient and you're more, more sustainable. (laughs) Um, this has been so much fun, Libby. Thank you so much for telling your story. Before we go, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share or anything I've overlooked? Cause, uh, we could go on all day, I'm sure. Oh, I know. Well, yeah, I could, I could talk forever. So, um, you know, honestly, I think the thing is, is that I, the message that I want folks to take away from is that, uh, is continue to explore, you know, what, uh, what you have available for options, especially when it comes to, um, off season and whatnot that, you know, if, if there's any way that you can continue to incorporate locally grown, um, in your program all year round, um, you know, please try, you know, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Yeah. You're in Alaska, not going to happen. Um, but you know, there, you would be surprised to find that, you know, that there really are still a handful of the greenhouse growers who are out there that can, for those of us in the Northern tier, um, can, you know, can count on. And I think that it's important to recognize and find those, uh, you know, family businesses that um, that are still around and know that 
if they are still around after everything that we've been through in all of the, you know, the, the outsourcing and consolidation of the floral industry as a whole, then you know that they themselves are very sustainable as well. So I, I heartily, I mean, there's, you know, supporting local is more, it, it's more than just, you know, the sort of like local food trend or whatever. I mean, it literally comes down to, you know, it's an existential thing. And I think that that's something that we should all be able to, you know, walk away from this pandemic knowing that, I don't care about those boats off the coast of LA because I'm okay. <laughs> you know? Right. You're not panicking. I mean, they'll, that'll get sorted out in some way, but way, way, shape or form, but customers are waiting then for product for weeks and if not months, but you're not panicking. Yep. And uh, finally, I do have to say, even though you're all about local, you do have a little spot in your heart for Italian Vespas. I do. So um, tell me what color of Vespa you're driving. Okay, so um, well, that would be have to narrow it down to one. When in fact, I actually have many. Um, oh my so, gosh! Yeah. Are they all are they all working? Like, do you pick uh, and choose color per day? So that's a kind of an interesting question. So if you're always talking about vintage Vespas, there's always something that's going to go wrong. But um, no, actually, I uh, so I have I have a, a handful. Uh, one of the, I think one that is uh, sadly is not running right now, but um, it's kind of a thing with uh, vintage Vespa owners is to have one that's um, the same age as you are. So I have a I have a, a 1964 uh, that is uh, it's actually pink. <laughs> oh my god! Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so um, it's it's kind of a crazy one. Um, I also I also have another pink scooter, which is a more modern one. And why you know nobody needs a pink scooter at all, much less two. Uh, but I uh, but I also I also have another a 2005 limited edition, but which is. Uh, was new at the time, um, Vespa, that was, uh, you know, they're only, I've got number 125 out of a, out of 500 that were ever built. Wow. Um, and then just for, just for ha-has, I have a three-wheeler too. So if you've ever seen those tuk-tuks that you see, you know, like you see in crazy videos from like Southeast Asia and whatnot. Yes. Yeah, I got one. <laughs> I, you don't deliver on them though, do you? No, I mean, actually, okay, so there is a video that we, as our, our local chamber of commerce, which is the Hanford Village Merchants Association, we did a, a promotional video showing um, all the different you know, sort of businesses in our community. And I actually did deliver flowers on, on a scooter and in that video. I saw that. You sent that to right. me. That's hysterical. I'll try to find that. And I can't, you know, and it's, it's funny because, you know, people who ride Vespas have this, we have this kind of like weird thing about challenging ourselves to carry as much stuff as possible on your scooter without, you know, having to like do like duffel bags or, you know, you know, saddle bags or whatever. So, I mean, I can ride around with grocery bags or flowers or anything on the floorboards because it's just a, it's just a thing, you know, I, I mean, we're, love it. we're all a bunch of nuts. So, you know, I love it. That's so great. Well, I'll try to find that photo and, and share it in our show notes. So this interview is going to appear on um, our Facebook Live and um, uh, YouTube Live. Sorry, I forgot what platform it was. Um, on um, the 27th of October. And then the following week, um, on the first Wednesday of November, we'll run the, uh, run this in our show notes at deborahprinzing.com. And that will be for our podcast. So people can who are listening to this only for some reason on the podcast are going to want to come over to look at the show notes and watch the video. And um, I maybe see a photo of that Vespa and, and some of your arrangements too, Libby. Awesome. You're the best. I just thank want to you. thank you 
I want to thank you so much for for just what everything that you're doing. I mean, the whole idea of Slow Flowers was, you know, it was just so near and dear to my heart when I first learned about what you were doing. And I'm just grateful that you're out there championing the cause and is helping the world understand how important it is to buy local and be local. Awesome. Thank you so much, Libby. This has been a lot of fun and uh, we'll talk soon. All righty. After we recorded our conversation, Libby and I kept corresponding, and I wanted to share portions of an email she sent me. It reads this, The pandemic and the current ongoing supply chain issues have highlighted the importance of local sourcing. When the nation went into lockdown in March of 2020, the floral wholesalers shut down. Conventional florists found themselves without the ability to get flowers from South America and other far-off places. Supplies like glassware from China nearly dried up. Many of our area florists shut down, some for good. My experience, as Libby writes, was exactly the opposite. I shut my door to the public and pivoted to contact-free delivery. I never missed a beat on having flower inventory as I was able to rely on my local greenhouse growers and field flower farmers to do COVID-safe pickups. My community knows that I love reused vases, so many folks were stuck at home cleaning out their kitchen cabinets, and I have gotten more vases left outdoors of the shop than ever before. I wanted to share my experience as a way to encourage florists to consider a more sustainable business model. As far as I know, I'm the only full-service retail flower shop on the East Coast to source only local flowers and plants all year round. It's a challenge and more work, but I believe our world needs folks to put planet before profit. I couldn't agree more. And on this topic, I want to share a bonus interview I also recently recorded with Ellen Frost of Local Color Flowers. Ellen is a past guest of this podcast, so she will be familiar to you. In keeping with the theme of my interview with Libby, I asked Ellen to talk about her upcoming online course offered through the Gardener's Workshop. Let's jump right in and hear from Ellen. Well, I'm so excited to uh, say hello to my friend, Ellen Frost. Hi, Ellen. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for doing this like mini interview with me about what's happening yeah. with uh, the with local color flowers in Baltimore and beyond. Now you're you're a global, I guess, with <laughs> <laughs> with uh, how you're helping people with your online course. And uh, I just want to mention that um, Ellen teaches through the Gardener's Workshop, which is a great sponsor of Slow Flowers. So we wanted to give a spotlight to something coming up soon. This is the is this the third time you're teaching the course, Ellen? Yeah, third time. I can't believe it. Yeah. Well, COVID kind of sped things up for you. I, I think. know. <laughs> totally. Um, the course is called Florist School Online, Growing Your Business with Local Flower Sourcing, which Ellen teaches uh, to florists, but also flower farmers who are taking the course, who want to know how to sell the florists, right? Yeah, for sure. That was not an audience I was necessarily thinking would be interested. Um, but we've had a lot of great feedback from farmers and farmer florists who are interested in sort of getting the flip side of what it's like to source locally from the florist perspective. Right, right. So the course, uh, the little sell, the sales pitch is calling aspiring and established florists, farmer florists and flower farmers to learn how to embrace, participate and build businesses with locally sourced flowers. And the course um, is really the local color flowers story, Ellen. I mean, that's, you're just sharing over, I don't know, over 15 years of your own sort of education that you've had to kind of figure it out yourself because there really wasn't 
a guidebook for you when you started. Totally. Yeah, it really is, um, right, 15 years of our lessons learned about sourcing locally um, here in Maryland and trying to share those lessons learned, good and bad, um, with people that are interested so that they can get a head start on sourcing locally. Yeah. So uh, the enrollment is this week. That's why we're talking now because it's it enrollment opens on November 5th and goes through yeah. November 9th. Um, and so you, and you go to, um, well, I guess since we're on the video, I can only say that you can find the splash page for signing up at thegardenersworkshop.com. We'll also right. share it in the show notes for this episode at deborahfrenzing.com. But you go on, you add your name and email to the wait list, and that way you find out exactly when, when uh, registration opens. Is that right? That's right. Mm -hmm. And then what is the free resource that people get for signing up on the wait list? Um, I think right now there are two. I'm not sure which one they get right now. One is just a um, hour long little webinar about how we make dried wreaths at yep. Locofo. Yep. I'm um, looking at it right now. So that's up dried wreath making tips. Great. Yeah, it's great because um, one of the things that we do is, um, you know, we, we try to be as sustainable as we can. We are composting any waste that we have in the shop, but we really do try to dry everything that is left over at the end of each week. And so this is just a little series on how we make dried wreaths and how we dry stuff at the shop. So oh, yeah. that's really neat. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, that that's how people get on the wait list. Um, and then, well, if you do it uh, before November 5th, you sign yeah. up, then you'll start getting the emails with more details. Um, the cost of the course is $4.95. And what is that? Uh, how long does that go um, once sure. people start? Yeah, the way it runs is it starts in January and each week for six weeks, you get sort of a, a class a week. And that class each week is about three hours. And you can listen to it on your headphones. You can watch it on video. Um, and then at the end of the week, we do a, a Q&A sort of coaching session. So that is a live Q&A with people in the class. And I think that that is really has been one of the most, um, certainly most fun for me, but I think one of the most useful tools as the class has gone on um, is just having people in community with each other and be able to ask questions and get live answers. Um, yeah, it's been great. <coughs> I mean, that's, that's priceless to get, you know, a chance to ask specific challenging, you know, bring up specific mm -hmm. challenges that you might have in your region that, that um, Ellen can uh, troubleshoot for you or yeah. help you find the resources, right? For sure. Yeah. We've had lots of great, I, I, I see them as breakthroughs for people um, during those coaching sessions. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, that term breakthrough is so interesting because I do feel like some people watch what's happening in the slow flowers movement. They, they know that there are flower farmers near them. They know that customers respond to that kind of um, mission driven floristry. Mm -hmm but they just don't know how to get started. So you yeah. do you kind of demystify and break it down and hold people's hands, especially if they just don't know where they're overwhelmed. A hundred percent. This is, this is what the class is designed for. It is for, while it will help you if you already are sourcing locally source more locally or get more out of the experience. It really is designed as a way to help florists who are really just starting 
um, build their relationships with their growers, figure out the logistics, figure out the differences between buying locally and buying from a wholesaler and taking them step by step on not only how to do that, but how it is going to benefit their business. Like really showing people that this model um, is going to have great positive impacts on your business. And so, yeah, we take them through step by step. And we've had, I mean, I was hoping for this, but like the success stories of people coming out of the class are just like really rewarding. It's like really exciting to hear people say like, both farmers and florists. We had a farmer who was like, I sold my first flowers to a florist this year um, as a result of taking the class. Or a florist saying, um, I had a florist just recently say, oh, I partnered with this farmer this year and we did this really big wedding, which I was afraid to do, but the farmer really helped me. And we it was like a win-win for both of us. I ordered a lot of stuff from them. Um, I succeeded in doing a great design and the client loved it. And yeah, it was great. That's, that's terrific. It's so, it's so like breakthrough is such a, a great word for it because mm-hmm. um, you're trying to help people at wherever, whatever point they're on, on the continuum. So I remember when we did the, the bonus uh, member meetup for Slow yeah. Flowers members this past spring. And I think you said something really profound about, um, you know, you, maybe you just have one offering uh, in your yeah. conventional mix of flowers, just sort of as a trial balloon to see what the response is. Yeah. And I always, I I think that's important to say because we have a model that is terrific and it works great for us. And we are also, you know, in zone seven B like we're pretty warm and getting warmer. Um, So this model of year round sourcing, hundred percent local sourcing, you know, it it might not work for everybody and people might not want to do it hundred percent, but they may want to dip their toe in. They may want to, Right. Like we have a florist here in Baltimore who I've noticed has started buying a little bit of local stuff and they offer one, one arrangement, which they call like the local arrangement. Yeah. And it's such like a great way to like test it and to see if your customers are going to respond to it, which I'm sure they will. And a way to start to tell the story of local flowers and right. So it can be as little or as much as you want it to be. But I think what the class does is it gives you the confidence to start. Right. The language, the confidence, the understanding that it's a different distribution model, totally. a purchasing model. Um, the players, yes, there's Are more different. of them. And <laughs> you is not one-stop shopping. You might have to, you know, devote more time to deliveries and pickups. And yeah. Well, it's sure. funny. I we just have a new member who joined um, Slow Flowers from Montana and she, a florist who mm-hmm. was inspired by an interview we did with um, Lindsay Irwin of Bitterroot Flower Shop, who's oh, yeah. in um, in Missoula. And this florist watched her peer, you know, pivot her business uh, incrementally year after year to like and build out to the shoulder seasons. And, but you know, mm-hmm. bottom line in Montana, there's no local flowers in the winter, unless you do an entirely dried flower program, which some people right. are doing. Right. And I just think seeing someone else go this mm-hmm. path gave a, a competitor, basically uh, the confidence yeah. to try it. Um, and I know you address the Uber cold zones as well, because you've had students from. Oh yeah. Uh, we have zone. students in Canada. We've got them in Vermont and Maine and, um, places, right, where you just can't 
can't do this year round um, or do it all the time. But mm-hmm. um, I think the class is versatile enough that it takes into account um, all, all locations, all weather, you know, situations and that's great. Um, helps you make the most of your, your spot. Yeah. You're kind of taking your whole experience as a giant case study mm-hmm. to empower other people to follow your model. And uh, that I just, sure. I'm so happy you um, teamed up with Lisa Ziegler at the Gardener's Workshop to basically build a, a course that will help people for the rest of their business lives. And that's, that's, you know, January is a good time to start something like this too. Like (laughs) exactly. Everything finally slows down. This year has been crazy for everybody. So finally just slowing down and being able to take stock of if, if there has ever been a time to take stock, both of what you want your business to be rather than just what it has been, this is a year to do that, right? Like with, you know, still, we're still seeing global shortages in at wholesalers, florists, traditional conventional florists are still having a hard time sourcing flowers. Um, and really, I don't know, I just COVID made us all just like stop and think like, what do we really want our lives and our businesses to be like? And this is a great winter to take the time and really explore if local sourcing is, you know, fits into your, your, your future. Well, of course it does. We, we know that. <laughs> well, Ellen, I, I wish you a great sign up and uh, we'll be sure to, um, you know, get the link out for people to check awesome. it out. But you also, before we go, I want to just say that you have a new Instagram account that you've shared a lot of information in, and I just want to make sure people know about it. Yeah, what we we started a new Instagram account called Florist Buying Local Flowers, and it was designed as a way to... Um, just be a place for folks that are interested in local sourcing to um, be in community together mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. Instagram and to share um, resources and something different. You know, our our business account is not always that. Um, no, because so you're focusing to, on your customers and your market, right. right? Yeah. So we really wanted a place where flower farmers and floral designers could come together and just right get resources, share what they're working on locally, and yeah, it's been That's a lot great. of fun. Good. I'll encourage people to follow that, Ben. I know I am. Um, and again, just to, to remind everybody, um, the Florist School Online, Growing Your Business with Local Flower Sourcing with Ellen Frost of Local Color Flowers. It um, it starts on January 3rd, but you can't yeah. get into it if you don't register. And the registration is November 5th through 9th. Yeah. Uh, so uh, check it out and um, invest in yourself. Maybe this is your best uh, year-end bonus yes. you can give yourself. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Great. Thank you so much, Ellen. Uh, I'll right, see thanks, you. Deborah. Hopefully, I'll see you in person sometime soon. I hope so too. Take care. Thanks. If you think this workshop has your name on it, follow the link I've shared in today's show notes to register between November 5th and 9th. That's coming right up. Check out the details for Ellen's course, Growing Your Business Through Local Flower Sourcing. The fee is $495 and the course begins January 3rd of 2022. 
And thank you to The Gardener's Workshop, a Slow Flower sponsor, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists, including Ellen's upcoming course. Check out all of their course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. We have just wrapped up October, our very successful member appreciation month, the month focused on thank yous, thank yous to our core community of motivated and mission-driven flower growers, designers, enthusiasts, and pioneers in the Slow Flowers Movement. Now that we've turned the page to November, there's so much you can look forward to during this month as well. So if you haven't opened up your Slow Flowers November newsletter, find the link for a quick shortcut to read it in today's show notes. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Rody, an on-demand delivery company offering affordable same-day and scheduled delivery with a network of friendly local drivers who handle each delivery with care and one-on-one support from a designated account manager. Rody guarantees a smooth and reliable delivery experience from pickup to delivery. Sign up for your first delivery at rody.com slash slowflowers and use promo code slowflowers that's one word to get five dollars off thanks so much for joining us today the slow flowers podcast has been downloaded more than seven hundred and eighty thousand times by listeners like you thank you for listening and commenting and sharing it means so much as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry the momentum is contagious i know you feel it too We are a member-supported endeavor, and I value our loyal members and supporters. If you're new to this podcast, check out all of our resources at slowflowersociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. You can learn more about Andrew's work at soundbodymovement.com. <laughs>